0: And today, uh, all, all weekend, we've been talking about how to have a blessed marriage, how to really live happily ever after, as we all want to do. And there's one more uh, deposit that I, I just feel like the Lord wants to give to us this morning. So if you take your Bible, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to get to the scripture in just a, in just a moment, Hebrews 12. But before we do that, let me ask you a question and I just want you to be honest, okay? Uh, How many of you in your life have ever been hurt? Can I just see a hand? I mean, just come on, just get on. Ever been hurt by somebody, something that some, uh, you know, last service, somebody held up both hands, you know, I don't know what that means. We've all been hurt, right? I mean, it may have been a father that hurt us, or a stepfather, may have been a mother, right? Uh, I had a extremely angry man who lived next door to me for eight years. And uh, I've, I've never been quite around this angry of man. When I began to dig in his life, I, I found out the hurts that had precipitated that uh, way back in his past and his family line for a long time. So we've all been hurt. Sometimes it's a colleague. Sometimes it's a friend. I mean, that's one of the worst hurts, isn't it? When somebody we thought we could trust with anything... And then they misuse that, and they and they say something, they do something, they they gossip about us to somebody else, that they betray us. It's just it's just really painful. I tell you, one of the worst kinds of hurts is when it happens in the church. You know, people who know better, and we think, well, surely this is a safe haven, this is a environment, and I know that's I know that's why Troy. Pick that name initially. Of, of this, he wanted this church to be that kind of safe haven. But sometimes this happens in a church, and and we get crossways, and we say things and do things, and uh, it's such a, it's just a sad witness to the world, right, of who God is. We all, I tell people, if you haven't been hurt, just keep breathing, right, because it's going to happen, uh, because we live in a sin wrecked and sin damaged world, right. And there's all kinds of fallenness around us, and it's going to touch us in our life. Now, the issue is not, have you been hurt? That's not the issue. The issue is, how have you responded to the hurts of your life? That's the issue. And a lot of people think, well, you know, I've, uh, I've just pressed that down. It doesn't bother me. I don't think about it. It's no big deal, you know. And uh, what they don't realize is if you hang on and you don't process biblically and spiritually what has happened and properly what has happened in your life that hurt lodges in our heart that harbored hurt and it can develop into what and it can develop real easily real quickly quicker than you think into what the bible calls bitterness now i've never met anybody that i've said well, it sounds like you got a little bitterness. No, 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 not me. I've never met anybody that says that, uh, admits they have bitterness. But I've had it, and probably most of us in this room have had some form of this harbored hurt in our heart. We just didn't know what to call it this numbness, this, this, uh, this sourness in our soul. And if I could give you a definition, uh, it's there in your notes and your in your worship folder, but if I could give you a definition of bitterness, I would describe it like this. It's a corruption in my soul, a sourness and acidity in my soul that results from my failure to accept and thank God for every person and every circumstance that He's allowed in my life. Now just think about it. Let's just read that again. I want you to think deeply about it. It's a corruption in my soul that has resulted from from, uh, my failure to accept and to thank God for every person. Sometimes it's a person that's hurt us. Sometimes it's a circumstance, a tragedy, an illness, a difficulty that just blindsided us. And we we didn't expect that to happen in our life that God has allowed into our lives. Now, Hebrews talks about this in Hebrews 12, if you have your Bible. And, and if, you, if you know this chapter, Paul is telling us about Christ. And he's saying, you know, he went through the cross for the joy set before him. And, and he says, in, as he goes on, he says, look, uh, we have some things to endure too. And, and when you get in the middle of this, there's some things you need to understand about difficulties and problems and hurts and tragedies that come into your life. God wants to use those to train us, to discipline. That's a good word, by the way. We get the word disciple from that, right? To discipline us and to train us. And he, he uses the argument. He said, your father trained you. He disciplined you. And it was for your good. And then he comes in verse 10 and he says this. They, your fathers, your parents, disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good. It's always for our good. It's always for our good. Would you say that with me? It's always for our good. You didn't sound very convincing. It's always for our, for our good that we may share His holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields this peaceful fruit of righteousness, of rightness. Therefore, now he's going to tell us what to do when we get hurt. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Make straight paths for your feet. In other words, don't take any, any side roots, because it's just going to get worse, trying to find a little temporary relief. Make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. And in the midst of this, pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. And then verse 15 is where we're going to camp. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. And that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. Now, I want you to just notice two or three very practical things with me. First of all, what's the origin of bitterness? In other words, where does it come from? Well, it comes, if I could just say it like this, from the misunderstanding and not embracing God's kingdom training, God's ultimate agenda for our lives. In other words, what God says in this in this verse, the first little phrase is very descriptive. He says, when you're in this trouble, when you're in this difficulty, when somebody's hurt you or a tragedy has come, he says, don't fall short of the grace of God. In other words, what he means is there's grace available. there's grace available. Now I know you talk about grace, a lot here. Grace is is uh, this divine favor, this un, undeserved favor that God gives us. There's another side of grace, and grace is the, that that divine enabling and empowering God gives us to give us the desire and the power to do what God wants us to do. In other words, Paul said, "I had this sore in the flesh. I didn't I didn't know what to do." And God said, "Look, I'm going to give you something, and it's going to be sufficient. It's grace." I'm going to empower you, and that's just my goodness. That's just my grace, and my grace is going to be sufficient for whatever you go through. So when we're in these difficulties, and when we've had these hurts in our our life, he says, look, you need the grace of God. But the problem is, is in our pride, we think, well, I don't need God. I don't need God's grace. I'm just going to figure this out myself. I'm going to take care of this situation. Now in in the in the meeting the last couple of days we talked about James 4 6 and it's it's found this same verse found three times in the scripture. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to who? To the humble, right? So if you want grace, humble yourself. Admit your need, acknowledge your sin, say, Lord, I need you. I don't know how to handle this thing. I don't know what to do. And God says, man, when you come to me, the the first beatitude, and you recognize your spiritual poverty, I will pour out the kingdom on you. Man, I'll just give you all the grace you need. But if in your pride, you don't turn to me, you don't run to me, you don't say, Lord, I, I can't do this on my own, then God says, okay, you're not going to get my grace. You're not even wanting my grace. You're not even asking for my grace, right? So God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. So really, when you look down and you kind of put all this together, the root of bitterness in our life is ultimately pride. And pride, by the way, is the root of every sin. It's the root of P R I. D-E, right? The big eyes right there in the middle. I can do this. I can handle it. I don't need God. I'm not the problem. You're the problem. It's just pride. And, and it's the mother of every sin when you think about it. And in our lives, uh, we're all proud. We, I mean, that's what started the problem in the garden, right? That's what the problem was with Satan when he fell. It's I, I, I. In our pride, we have certain expectations about life, right? And there's nothing you know, terribly wrong with expectations, but we expect to live happily ever after. We expect there's no problems. We don't ever expect a boss to do something bad to us. We don't ever expect a colleague to stab us in the back. We can't imagine a, a relative doing something that would hurt us deeply. Or a stepfather that would abuse us or, or anything like that. And so we have these expectations. Well, guess what happens with expectations in life? They're not met, right? In this fallen world. And when our expectations are not met, we get hurt. We get hurt. And, and sometimes there's a face associated with those hurts. And we have this thing the Bible calls Unforgiveness. We just find it really hard to let go of it, We to, to forgive them. And if we hold on to this, it becomes this thing called bitterness, this acidity, this, this uh, sourness in our soul. You know, uh, I've been doing this for a long time and uh, it doesn't take me 15 minutes talking with somebody to detect this in their soul. The origin of bitterness. But you say, well, Bill, I've, I've had people hurt me and I've never thought about it. I just kind of pushed it aside and went on and kind of do my own thing and, and it's not bothered me. Well, look at the outcome of bitterness, the outcomes. What does bitterness do? What does any kind of harbored hurt, whether it was small things sometimes, it's a series like in a marriage a lot of times, it's, a, it's the little piranhas you know, that are just nipping at your heels all the time and, and it just builds and builds and builds over time and it kind of lodges there in your soul. She always does this. He always responds this way and you just kind of build up this hurt in your heart and I'm just telling you, if you don't deal with that, Quickly and constantly, it builds up, uh, can can really cause problems down the road. That's why you see couples that look so great and everything was so fine, and then all of a sudden you hear, hey, they're getting a divorce. And you say, where in the world did that come from? Right? Harbored hurt. Why else would they do it? Harbored hurt. And hurt, bitterness, you look in this verse 15, bitterness always springs up. It always comes out. So one time years ago, Holly and I went to a conference and this deacon we had in our church in Norman, Oklahoma, said, hey, I'll mow your lawn. And I said, well, you know, biblically, I think that's what every deacon should do. And so uh, on a regular basis, so he came over, not only did he mow our lawn, he got his weed eater out. Now, some men should not be allowed to use a weed eater right because it's a sense of power do i can i can i get a witness here Okay. I mean, sometimes it's like, you know, you just can't control my kids, but man, I got this weed eater and, and you come, your wife comes home and said, man, look at that flower bed. so clean. Yeah. But there are no flowers left. Right. So this guy was kind of that guy, you know, and he, and he just, he just weed ate everything. And, and I had one tree in Oklahoma. You have to plant trees if you want them. And so I had this one little tree and I had nurtured it, fertilized it and everything. He just stripped the bark off that tree and it died. I came home and it was, you know, it was dying. And uh, and so I just I didn't want to dig it all up and everything, so I I just cut it down at ground level. Well, pretty soon I was mowing the lawn and a little a little shoot comes up, you know. And I just mowed it down. And then that happened pretty regular, you know. This little shoot would come up. I was telling this one time, and somebody said, "Well, why didn't you just let it grow?" And I thought I never even thought about that. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, <laughs> I just kept, I just, it just kept constantly coming up. You know why? Because roots produce shoots, right? And that produces fruits. It's, it's unmistakable. Now you may be here and you say, well, not me. Listen, my dear friend, you are no exception to this rule. If you have something harbored, it may be something small. It may be something really big in your soul. I promise you it will spring up. And the second thing, verse 15 says, it will cause trouble. It will cause trouble. Hurting people hurt people. Just take that one to the bank, right? Hurting people, this this acidity comes out in certain forms in certain ways at certain times it's like acid and it hurts people and and I I just want to put up a little list of some of these things that cause trouble throw that up on the screen if you would Uh, for instance what happens is when we get hurt it hurts that's why they call it hurt right so it just it's painful and nobody wants to be hurt so what we do is we, we develop little strategies so we won't get hurt again. For instance, have you ever met somebody that just had a really quick temper? I mean, they just would fly off the handle at anything. I, I promise you, you dig down very far in their life. They were hurt sometime in the past. And whenever, whenever somebody comes and starts to, they think it's going to hurt them, they go on the offensive. If anybody's going to get hurt in, in this situation, it's going to be you, not me. That's a strategy. Or they're they're sensitive, overly sensitive. You just think, man, you you know you can't talk with him about that. Don't go there. Now, why would you say that? Because there's a bitterness there that's going to come out, and it's going to hurt them. And it's going to hurt you. Or an easy prey to gossip. In other words, people say, I don't know why, but the people just always come to me and give all their gossip. They're kind of proud of it. Well, the reason is probably they have picked up in you this willingness to kind of commiserate with them about about other people or fear, you know. I mean, if you've been hurt, naturally there's going to be fear about getting hurt again. And it will cause you fear is not of God, right? And fear can keep you from taking steps and going places that God has ordained for you. But you just say, I'm just not going to be there. I've met people many times who are just kind of closed off and withdrawn a little bit. Now that's, I'm not talking about personality. We're all different, right? I'm talking about the fact that, that something has happened to them and they just say, I'm, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to open myself up to somebody because I did that one time and it really backfired on me. It really hurt me. Or maybe it's, This stubbornness or a controlling, demanding spirit. In other words, I've been hurt and because of that, I'm going to get a little box around my life and I'm going to control everything that comes in and any people that try to do anything, I'm going to control them uh, because I don't want to get hurt again. And an inability to trust God. I think all bitterness, I have pretty good biblical reasoning behind this, I think all bitterness ultimately is bitterness towards God. Because particularly if you're a believer, you know God is sovereign and, and you say, God, you could have stopped this. Why did you allow this? I'm just trying to walk with you. Why would you let that person do that to me? Why would you let me lose my job? Why, why, would you, why would you let this happen over here? And we get upset with God, right? And I want to tell you something. If you're upset with God... I promise you, you're going to have a hard time following him. You're not going to want to read the Bible because you're a little ticked off at what God is doing or allowing in your in your life. So bitterness always springs up, always causes trouble, and always defiles many. I had a guy in my church in Norman, Oklahoma, that was one of the most bitter men that I had ever met, although everybody thought he was... He was wonderful because he worked real hard in the church. He was chairman of this and chairman of that, and chairman of this, and and was always, you know, and the reason when you got close to it was because he wanted to control everything, right? And he had been controlling that church for many, many years. And one day, I had been meeting out in the panhandle of Oklahoma where he grew up, and I said, hey, I was out in this town uh, where you grew up. I'm telling you, his whole demeanor changed. So much so that I said to him, I'll call him Fred, that's not his name. I said, Fred, wh- wh- what's, what's up? Wh- wh- why are you looking like that? He said, well, let me tell you a story. He said, my family and I sharecropped on the farm of a Baptist deacon in that town. And the sheriff's brother got drunk and ran over my dad and killed him. And then the sheriff took his brother across the state line so that he couldn't be prosecuted and he hit him out. And he said, and then the Baptist deacon a little while later kicked us off his farm and my mother and my four brothers and sisters and I lived in abject poverty for years. And, you know, I began to talk with him about this for 46 years. He had been trying to find and prosecute that man who had killed his dad. Just Bitterness. And his method, his little strategy, and it's understandable, was I'm going to control everything so I don't get hurt like that again. One day, a friend of mine, Pastor Buddy, a close friend, called me from a church north of, of uh, Norman where I was up in Enid. And he said to me, he said, Bill, I need your help. I said, what's the deal? He said, I got a guy in my church that has just given me fits. I mean, we never have a meeting that he doesn't get up and just say something and it just so destroys the unity of the church and he's just so angry about everything, wants to control everything. And his son's in our Christian school and he's causing such problems. We're going to have to remove him from the school. And when we do that, I'm telling you, it's just all going to break loose and I don't know what to do. Could you help me? I said, "Why? why do you think I could help me? Well, he said, I thought you might shed some light because his dad is in your church. Guess who it was? It was old Fred, right? Sins of the father visited on the succeeding generations. I have I have eight children. I love my kids so much. One of them got sick and went into the hospital this morning and it's just on my heart, you know. I'm just, and they're okay, but, but I'm just, I love my kids. I would do anything for my kids. Can you imagine what it would be If I would infect them with bitterness and they would carry that in their life, I I can think of nothing worse than that. But you see, bitterness always springs up, always causes trouble, and always defiles everybody around it. Now, you may be sitting here and you say, Bill... uh, That's me. Maybe you're not a just obviously bitter person, but you've got something in your heart. You know it. You can see that person's face. You think back to that experience or circumstance that happened, and you've got some harbored hurt. Bill, what do I do about that? What's the overcoming? How can I overcome bitterness in my life? Well, let me give you just three or four very practical things Things that have worked, biblical things in my life and in the lives of many, many people. Number one, you admit your sin. You say, well, (laughs) my stepdad, I mean, if anybody needs to admit sin, it's him. Well, you're right about that. And he's going to stand before God, right? And he is standing before God, giving account. But I can't change him. That's not, that's my, my task. I have to deal with myself and and if i have picked up anger and bitterness and little strategies and and fear and all these things i need to just admit maybe if i had known better i would have done better but i just have to admit lord i have not handled this right and and i've i've not done what you tell me to do in the scripture so lord i take ownership of that i i admit that before you the second thing that needs to happen is what I would call embracing the sovereignty of God. Now, let me let me tell you a little story. So, I am a, my my granddad is a pastor, and my dad is a pastor, and I have two brothers that are both pastors, and one sister that married a pastor, and we have eighteen grandkids in uh, more than that uh, in my grandkids to my father of our kids. And 14 of them are either pastors or missionaries or married pet We're either going to help the world or ruin it, you know. So my dad was the godly patriarch of our family, a godly man. And when he was my age in his late 60s, uh, I, I could tell you the whole story, but he, the, he fell morally. And this was just, this was so foreign to his character, it was just... It absolutely devastated us. I was like 30, 32 years old. It threw my theology up in the air. I didn't know if it would land, if it did, what it would look like. I mean, it was, it was some of you have been through that. It was very, very hard. And this roller coaster, this just happened for about two years. And uh, so I got bitter. I didn't know it. I would counsel people, but I didn't realize. I just got numb. I just didn't feel anything. I didn't want to read my Bible because I really wasn't particularly interested in hearing what God had to say. And by the way, I was pastoring a church and and preaching every Sunday. Now go figure that one out, right? But I just didn't, I just, somewhere in there, this bitterness kind of lodged in my soul. And one day I was with the family and when you're bitter, your kids are louder, it's just kind of a given. And so they were, they just seemed real loud. And I told Holly, I said, I got to go for a walk. And I went out walking. And, and sometimes in Oklahoma, there's some big, if there's some water, there's some big cottonwood trees. And I stopped by this cottonwood tree. I was just, just stuff seething around in my mind. And I had prayed for years this prayer. God, whatever you need to do to make me a man of God, that's what I want you to do. I prayed that. Literally, thousands of times, I meant it with all of my heart. And I stopped under that tree, and I lifted my fist to God, and out loud, I said to God, God, if this is what it takes to make me a man of God, I don't want it. And boy, immediately, when that came out of my mouth, I thought, oh my goodness. And it was like you had lanced a, a boil in my heart, and this just kind of came out. It's real raw honesty. For the next period, the Lord, the Holy Spirit, just ministered to me under that tree. It was so beautiful, Troy. I, I took my kids back one day to that tree and just told them what had happened. And the, and the Spirit of God just started bringing Scripture to mind and, and He just said to me things like, Bill, I'm not the author of sin. I didn't cause this. This is not Your father's sin was His choice, right? And Bill... I'm the only one that can help you and redeem you in this and you're holding me responsible and holding me at arm's length and, and, and you can't get my grace and help as long as you do that and what happened under that tree I've often said it's like I had my fist clenched and I was saying God I will not receive this in my life which was really stupid because it was in my life what anything I could do about that but I kind of relaxed my hands under that tree and said, Lord, I don't understand all of this, but I will accept this circumstance as if it's from you. I thought about that many times. And that was the day that bitterness began to leave my soul. And what I realized was happening is the Lord was taking me through a little moment to embrace the sovereignty of God. God, you're the king. I don't deserve anything. And and by your grace you've saved me, and by your grace you've done so many good things. If you want to take me through some hard things, to train me and equip me and develop me, Lord, you have the absolute right to do that. I accept your sovereignty over my life. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever done that? Have you ever done that in relationship to these hurts that you've had in your life? And when you do that, you're ready to do one of the most important things, and that is to forgive. And you say, Bill, I was tracking tracking with you all the way, and I'm thinking about this person that hurt me, but I kind of draw the line there about forgiveness. I, I just can't. Well, you may not want to. You may not feel like it, but you can. I mean, if we t- told Troy, if we said, Troy, I want you to fly. And he says, I can't fly. I said, why don't you go out in the parking lot and fly? He said, I can't fly. Then I pulled out a gun and I said, either you fly or I pull the trigger. And he'd start fly. He wouldn't, couldn't get off the ground, but it would be a great YouTube video, right? Okay. It would be unfair for me to ask him to do something he cannot do. God has said to every one of us in this room, I want you to forgive Others, just as I've forgiven you. Lord, I can't. Oh, yes, you can. It's called grace. If you'll cooperate with me, you can forgive. You may not feel like it. You say, well, what is forgiveness? Look at this little definition. Forgiveness, first of all, is my responsibility. Don't care what anybody else has done. The forgiveness side of that is on me. It's my responsibility. Look at this. By a choice of my will. Now this was one of the most liberating things that's ever happened to me. Forgiveness is not an act of your emotion. Nobody would forgive anybody if that were true. Right? It's a choice of your will. It's a decision you make. Look at this next statement. To release a debt. To release a debt. Now what happens is... When someone hurts us, we have a little ledger book in our heart, right? And we write it down. And the reason we write it down is very simple. We want to remember and we want to make them pay. And we're real creative in how we make them pay. We can withdraw from them. We can lash out at them. We can argue with them. We can uh, gossip about them. Somebody says, boy, your husband is so wonderful. Yeah, he really is. But... You know, And that's our way of just chipping away, getting back a little bit. I mean, we can do all kinds of things because we have it in our ledger book and, and, and we, we have it there because we want to make them pay, right? First Corinthians 13, when it's describing love, right in the middle of that, love is patient, love is kind, he says this, it's an accounting term. Love doesn't keep a record book of other people's wrongs. Love forgives. Love releases that. And if you had, if you had uh, I often say, if you had uh, painted my house, you'd go home and write it in your ledger book, right? And Bill Eliff, he owes me $3,000, whatever it is. You could, by choice of your will, say, you know, I love old Bill. He's got eight kids. He's got all those grandkids just swarming over him like ants. And, and, uh, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forgive that debt. And you could just mark it out, right? Just a choice that you make. Now, this is what God, by his grace, gives us the ability to do with anybody. Lord... <laughs> They're responsible for what they've done, but but I'm responsible for how I've respo- respond. You've told me to forgive and Lord, I'm not going to hold this debt against them. Now, look at this next phrase, to release a debt by faith. So right in the middle of this thing in our church, when we were dealing with this guy, Fred and he went on a rampage, tried to take control of the church, had secret meetings. I mean, I had death threats on my life. It got pretty intense. Uh, and so uh, I went to a buddy of mine in the church who was a mentor to me, a great man of God named Jim White. And I said, Jim, I don't know what to do about Fred. He didn't say a word. He just opened his Bible. And he turned to Romans 12, verse 19 and following. Here's what it says. Occasionally take your own revenge. Is that what it says? Huh? Anybody? No, it says never, never take your own revenge. But listen to the rest of the verse. I've never seen this. But leave room for the wrath of God. Vengeance is mine. I'll take care of this. I'll repay. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Right? So vengeance is mine. I will repay, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. When somebody hurts us, we have it on our little, our ledger, and we're judge, jury, and executioner, right? Forgiveness is transferring that debt from our courtroom to God's courtroom. And saying, Lord, by faith, you can take care of anything and anybody. If there's any adjustment that needs to be made, Lord, I'm trusting you to do it. I don't have to do it. What a liberating, what a liberating step to really forgive. To just cast it into his lap because he cares for us. So forgiveness is my responsibility by choice of my will to release a debt by faith for this purpose, to glorify God. I want the world to see that that's exactly what God did for me. That's why Ephesians says, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And then there's one step further, by the way. Jesus said one time, he said, beloved, let us love one another. First John 4, 11. And then he said in the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, he said, by the way, I want you to love everybody. I even want you to love your enemies. If you love people, just love you. I mean, anybody can do that. But if you love your enemies, it's going to show the world that you are, a son of the Father. So, we're to love. You say, man, I can forgive them, but I ain't going to love them. I'm just not going to do it. (laughs) Well, talk to Jesus about that one. He's the one who commanded us to love. You say, well, I don't know how. Well, let me explain that. When you became a Christian, the Spirit of God came to live inside of you. Now, when, when Troy walked into the room today, his head didn't roll in, little bald head, you know, head roll in and uh, it was kind of uneven because his beard down there is kind of plopping along. And then his torso came in with his arms then his legs came in. Then we put him all together in the front row, right? No, he came in this morning in all of his splendor and glory, right? When Christ and the Holy Spirit came to live in you, He didn't come just a little bit of him or a little bit of this or a little bit of that. The Holy Spirit, God, lives in you. That means all the love that you need is in you, right? It's all in there. And that's why Paul says, here's how this happens, Romans 5, 5. The love of God can be shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. This is why Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, look, just walk by the Spirit, Just follow me. And the fruit that's going to come out of that, of the Spirit, is love. Love is going to flow out of you. Is that you? No, it's you in cooperation with God. It's you abiding in Him. It's you fully surrendered to Him. And we say, like Paul said in Romans 6, he said, present the members of your body, your eyes, your, your mind, your hands, as, as weapons, is literally the word, as weapons of righteousness. Not weapons of unrighteousness, unholiness, unforgiveness, unkindness. Don't do that. Present your body to the Lord and say, Lord, you live in me, and Lord, I am asking you to flood my heart with love, and I will do whatever your love prompts me to do. By the way, <laughs> can I tell you where I learned this? Until one day, long story, but the, my dad and my stepmother that he had married, and they had repented, and we had forgiven them. And uh, they were coming through Oklahoma. I had seen my dad. I hadn't seen her. And, uh, and I'd said, well, I'll forgive her, but that's it, you know. And dad said on the phone, he said, hey, can I come by and see you? Can we come by and see you? I said, well, yeah, I want to see you. And then I hung up, and I, and I thought, he said we. <laughs> She's going to be with him. And she was the devil with a red dress on, you know, to me. And uh, I thought, what am I going to do? And uh, I just said, Lord, you live in me. And so I'm going to ask you to love her through me. I will never, it's one of the greatest illustrations in my life of the reality of Christ. That I stepped out of a car in a parking lot of a Holiday Inn in Clinton, Oklahoma. And I saw Wanda and I loved her. I went over and put my arms around her. I just loved her. Now, was I going to pat myself on the back and say to Bill be the glory, great things he has done? No. That was all God, right? And he gets the glory. And that's what happens when you have somebody that's deeply hurt you, probably not deeper than we did to Christ, but who's deeply hurt you and you choose to release that debt and transfer it into God's courtroom and then say, Lord, even beyond as a witness to you to bring glory to you, Lord, would you love them through me? And the world is astounded at that. So we ask God to flood us with his love. And then if we come full circle on this, we, we can really thank God for the training, not for the sin, not for the tragedy per se, but we thank God that in the midst of that, He trains us for our good, that we may share His holiness. And afterwards, when we get trained, it yields this, this not chaotic, it yields this peaceful fruit of righteousness in our lives. Oh my goodness. The Lord is here this morning. I'll tell you one final story. So, I was in Houston, Texas one time doing a two-week meeting in a church with a team of people. And uh, about halfway through, this man comes to me and uh, this was Sam, the ping salesman I was telling you about, uh, Mr. Callaway over here. So this was a this was a ping salesman, golf golf clubs, and his name was uh, Dean. And Dean said, "Bill, I need to tell you something I've never told anybody." I said, well, He said, "Well, I had a 12-year affair with a woman, and uh, we finally broke it off. But nobody knows. My wife doesn't know. I feel this distance between." Me and my wife it has been there for a long time. I said, well, of course you do. Because you've got this closet. <laughs> and you won't let her close enough out of fear that that closet may have to be opened up. And there's only one remedy for this, Dean. You, you need to come clean before God, which he had done. But you also need to get honest with your wife. Hard step. So we talked about it a little bit, how to do that. He told his wife, her name was Sandy, And Sandy was this feisty Texas woman. She had a lot of spunk. My wife's got spunk. I love that. You know, just tackle anything. And when Sandy heard uh, about what happened, she got hopping mad. And rightfully so, right? And so she just was so angry, she kicked him out of the house. She just said, that's it. That's the end, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, finally some time went by and somebody said to her, would you just talk to some Bill's here. Would you just talk to Bill? So we sat around a little round table in a church library and I tried to talk to Sandy about, about forgiving. And I talked about the nature of moral purity, how this impurity, how this happens in a man's life didn't faze her. I talked about forgiveness, didn't faze her. I mean, it was just a stone wall. She wasn't having it. And... Then this question came to my mind, I think prompted by the Holy Spirit. I just said to her, she was a godly woman. She loved the Lord. And I said, Sandy, why do you live? And I'll never forget, she just sat back for a moment. She said, what? I said, why do you live? And she said, well, only one reason. I live to glorify God. And I said, Sandy, do you know God is giving you the greatest opportunity you've ever had to glorify God. Because you're never more like Jesus than when you forgive. Boy, she just broke. She said, you're right. She went back to her husband. She forgave him. And they had some work to do. (laughs) We started helping them kind of put their marriage back together. About, I don't know, six months, maybe a year later, I get a phone call from Dean and Sandy Fawcett. And Dean says, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? He said, God is bringing all these people to us who've had this same problem. And we're helping them and telling our story. And they're getting set free. And and I, uh, he said, man, I never. I said, I told you that was going to happen. He said, no, you did I said, yeah, I, did. <laughs> I told you. But you weren't able to hear it at that time. And God's going to use. God never wastes anything. And then about maybe a year later, they called us again. And they said, you're not going to believe this. We've been asked to do a marriage retreat. I said, you're kidding me. No, that's awesome. And that happened again and again and again. And God just wonderfully used them to help so many marriages. And then he called me maybe three, four years after that. And he said, Bill, are you sitting down? I said, yeah. He said, I'm going to ask you to do a favor. He said, can you watch on this date, on Thursday and Friday, I want you to watch the Oprah Winfrey show. I said, well, I watch it every day. You know, (laughs) wouldn't miss it. And uh, he said, he and Sandy said, Bill, I can't even explain to you how this all happened. It was during the Clinton-Monica Lewinsky scandal. And Oprah was doing a show on husbands who'd had affairs and wives who had forgiven their husbands. And she said, Bill, we're one of the five couples that's going to be on that show for two days. That's why I can tell you their names. And I watched, and for two days on that show, Dean and Sandy spoke to estimated uh, audience of over 10 million people telling them of the pain that happened, the forgiveness that came, the restoration of their home, all because of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Wow. It's worth it. I mean, if you live your life to glorify God... If you want in this brief life for the world to see the sufficiency of the grace of God, the reality of His forgiveness to you and through you, the unbelievable power of divine love that's residing in you that can flow through you like rivers of living water. Listen, folks, it's worth it for the glory of God in this brief life and for all of eternity. To forgive. So would you bow your heads with me? I'm going to ask you for the next few minutes to pray with me. And here's here's what I want you to do. Just I invite you to do. I wonder if you'd just... Hold your hands in front of you. Maybe even physically do that. Just cup your hands in front of you. And I wonder if you would place in your hands that person who hurt you. It may be somebody that's sitting right beside you. Maybe it's an experience that's really hurt you. Just hold it in your hands right there. And I wonder if you could just pray about that with the one who loves you and gave his life so you could be forgiven. And just in prayer, just say, Lord, forgive me for holding on to this for so long. Forgive me for picking up an offense over the years towards my husband, towards my wife, towards my parents. And Lord, by faith, I just want to mark their name off the ledger book as a choice of my will made possible by your grace. Lord, I choose to forgive them right now. Just tell him. And Lord, some of us may need to pray this. Lord, I I choose. <laughs> it sounds kind of funny, Lord, to just forgive you in a sense Lord I'm you're not responsible I am so I just release that I embrace your sovereignty over my life I want you to be my Lord and whatever Lord you want to do although it may seem painful afterwards it will yield wonderful fruit And I can share your holiness. And Lord, now I ask you to flood my heart by your Holy Spirit with your love. And Father, I even want to say I'm grateful that nothing can happen in my life that can't be used for my good for others' good, and for your glory. So I thank you for your Romans 8.28 training in my life. Father, I pray for just a great purging of our souls right now. I, I pray that we would lay this down, transfer it to the kingdom of heaven, and just leave it there. And I pray, Father, any moment when we the devil just whispers and tries to get us to pick that back up again, or we get in a conversation and we're tempted to say something. Or I just pray that we would just leave it in heaven. We would just say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go there anymore. I, I just choose to forgive them. I'm not going to let accounts kind of build up in my soul. And I pray, Father, that those who, even the ones who have offended us would see the majesty of the love of God flowing through us. We ask that, Father, for your sake and for your glory, we pray. Amen.